0: All right, on today's episode, I got to connect with a guy who I've been wanting to chat with for almost like 10 years at this point. he He's super well-known in the running community. He's done some really cool things, but he is also the brother of a friend of mine and former roommate of mine. His name is Blue Benedum, and he goes by the nickname, or some people call him, I should say, Marathon Man, uh, at least in the running community or maybe in the LA community, Blues run over like seventy marathons, and his fastest one is two twenty three, which comes out to a five twenty nine pace. Absolutely crazy! He just ran in the pros field in the twenty twenty one Boston Marathon, the first one that was in October right after COVID. Super exciting! He's uh, he's the former global running coach for Nike, so this was just like a great conversation about running. I got to kind of geek out just learning from this guy, you know, weaved in and out of different topics like nutrition and recovery and training methods and just his perspectives on different things and also his, his journey, uh, getting to where he is today. But, oh, I I, I was mentioning he is the global running coach for Nike. He got to train one of my, one of my heroes. He got to train and pace one of my heroes for the NYC marathon. Which is Kevin Hart. I couldn't believe it when I saw that. So he's he's ran with and trained Kevin Hart, also Theo Rossi from Sons of Anarchy, and John Gorley from Portugal the Man. So he's had some pretty cool opportunities in the running world, I should say. Most recently, him and his wife co-founded a brand new training platform called Guru Running. So you can check out gururunning.co if you want to learn more about it. They are accepting like a small cohort, I'm pretty sure right now, of uh, people that want to apply for this running training program. But eventually, it will be an online platform available to hopefully everybody. So if you're looking to level up your performance as a runner, uh, go to gururunning.co to check out what Blue and his wife, Cass, are up to. But without any further ado, here's my conversation with marathon man, Blue Benadum. I don't know if Cassie told you this, maybe if I already told you this, but you changed the game for me running wise several years ago. So I was living at Cassie's house in 2012 or 13, Yep, running the rim around Fort Lewis every day, plus a little extra. It was like a five mile route I was doing. I'm coming home and I'm just icing my shins every single day. And she was like, Oh, let me text my brother. Um, and then you're, you're like texting me advice through Cassie and she's just reading yeah. everything to me about four foot running and like instantly changed. My calves were destroyed for like six solid months. It took them to actually catch up. Yeah. Um, but I never had splints again. So yeah. thank you for that. <laughs>
1: That's, I mean, I was, I was the receiving end of the same thing. So, you know, I just been paying it forward. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Huge game changer, which is really cool. So, all right, man. So just for anybody that's listening, what are you doing right now? Cause I see that you're working, you've got guru running, which I want to get into the running camp and then your former head running coach at Nike, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Former head running coach at Nike. Um, that was, that was seven years of full time. So that was like a big Phase of my life for sure. Um, coming off that was right at when COVID started, and it was really it sort of put us in this position of me and my wife both like, what do we want to do? Like, what's what's like the dream? You know, because then in a lot of ways, coaching running for Nike was a dream. You know, it was amazing, but there were things that, um, from a real coaching and guidance perspective, that were I felt limited by just simply because it's a big corporation. You know, they've got their their red tape and you know, they've, at the end of the day, they've got a product to sell and that's kind of what's behind it all. Um, A coach really is more concerned with what's best for the athlete. And I think it just landed me in this place of like, what could I do to serve the athlete, you know, the best? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where it all started. That's like the foundation of the thought and the thinking behind what ultimately became Guru Running. Um, Guru Running is actually Guru Health Inc. So we actually like the intention is to expand to a holistic wellness, um, guidance system, but knowing full well that running is truly our expertise and, you know, you know, our, credentials are our strongest in that modality.
0: Okay. Got it. And so that's what you guys are doing full time. You and your wife together. Yeah.
1: So my wife is CEO. Um, we're both co-founders, um, and we're, we're right now raising our first, um, investment. Oh, sweet. Developing the product out and it to market. So yeah, it's, it's full on so yeah
0: yeah and i saw on your site something about an app right so you guys are building out a platform for this
1: exactly yeah so we're living through an app and um the the main even the the main tech is that our app can is a delivery system for all of the training that the athletes will get and then also taking back in the the biofeedback using all the tech that we have available nowadays you know with aura rings and garmin watches and all these things so it's it's coming back in for us like it's really about this marriage of the subjective and the objective information. You know, like okay. there's a, there's a lot of people that focus on one or the other, you know, mm-hmm. it's like objective data and you've, you know, you've got these biofeedback markers are great. Like if your heart rate relative to your pace or your, you know, whatever it is that your training is um, it's great to have that because it's, there's no arguing It's like, okay, that was for an hour. My heartbeat was 155 beats per minute, you know, and, but the subject subjective part of it where, what was I feeling, you know? And, and also what did I learn from that? And how does mm. that fit together? And I think that that's really the magic of what we do. It's like, I don't just want you to go out and run at a heart rate for X amount of time. Like there's, that's just not enough. You know, that's, that's one little piece of this huge holistic experiences as, as an athlete, but as a human being, yeah. I think the other side for us is like being that we're runners. We also don't really feel like the traditional runner. Like I don't, I don't necessarily resonate with like the, the typical collegiate you know pro runner because I didn't come from that you know I, my dad was a surfer I was more into like crazy extreme sports growing up and somehow I got into running you know and it's more been about the adventure and and the pursuit of progression um, as an athlete being tested and testing myself I think that keeps me coming back but it it's not that I just am so married to this like identity of being a runner so it's more about athleticism it's more about you know reaching the optimal of whatever it is that your pursuit is.
0: Yeah. I love that. So just like a more well-rounded holistic approach. Yeah. Um, will you guys incorporate some form of AI or machine learning yeah. to help like 100%. aggregate? Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And right now we have um, Garmin's our partner for API, so We already have the data like, well, we'll take in the Garmin API and essentially aura ring um, and then basically our workouts populate the Garmin device. So your actual, the next thing coming to you will be on your wrist. You don't have to think about it.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: Back okay. and forth happening there. So
0: and just out of curiosity, I've never used Garmin's like auto coach feature. How will it differ from that?
1: So it the the whole thing for us is like a lot of tech is trying to sort of replace the human element, right? Like how does yeah. how does the algorithm learn the behavior of the athlete and then feedback to them like, oh, your your readiness score is X? And You know, you're this much ready for your next thing. And then how can a coaching app, we were doing this at Nike, was like creating a coaching app that could take a workout that you did and then tell you what to do next. The reality is is that we're not there yet or anywhere near that. And maybe Mm. we should never get there. Maybe that, you know, for, for at guru running, we sort of believe that we don't want to remove the human element. You know, we want to take this highly individualized, high level white glove, if you want to call it coaching, and scale that you know, and then, and deliver that the best. So I I think like you and I are two different athletes. There is no perfect algorithm that's going to coach you and I the same way or, or optimally using the same. So I think we want to, we truly want to respect the individual and what they need and then deliver what that athlete needs at that time.
0: Yeah. Which makes sense now that you're saying that. And it just makes me wonder like, have there been any case studies of athletes seeing like maybe an increase in injury or overusage or whatever because they're relying too heavily on algorithms or like what a machine is telling them versus a human. Like, is that a thing? Because I'm new to this. Yeah that's, yeah,
1: that's interesting. I think what I've noticed is with you know the experience that I've had. I've used Garmin for since 2006, running marathons. Mm-hmm. Um, I've run somewhere around 70 marathons, and the training that goes into the marathons. I mean, you know, anywhere from Fifty to hundred miles a week, you know, in the training cycle for five months. Yeah, um, I think it's just it's it's a lot of it's it's the ten thousand hour rule, you know. Like you spend a lot of time doing something, you get pretty good at it. And I think yeah. Garmin recently has introduced these, you know, the feedback and has given you these scores of of how ready you are and um, performance c- performance conditions, what they're calling it. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because. I'll start to run and about 10 minutes into the run, I get this little beep on my watch and it says performance condition, negative 15. And it's like, yeah, well, that's because I just ran 700 feet vertical in yeah. the first mile. So my pace is really bad and my heart rate is relatively high, but mm-hmm. I'm warming up and I'm going up a mountain. So yeah. like there's no way for the garment to know that I'm, you know, maybe eventually it'll be able to recognize that you're, you're getting the elevation and pull in that parameter and maybe that's where they're going. But the reality is right now, if you use that and if you looked at the performance condition every time to start your run, and then you adjusted your workout relative to that data, that would send you all over the place. Because it's really about how fast you start your warm-up. And it may be, it may be just that you're going downhill and maybe that you're going uphill, you know. Yeah.
0: So. Which, you know, just a second ago, you mentioned that you guys want to incorporate asking the athletes how they feel. And I get that notification on my Garmin. And if it's not if it's neutral or negative, I'm like mentally screwed the rest of the workout, you know? And it could be some other variable that yeah. has nothing to do with me. Like I, like how maybe yeah. I was running uphill and it says, oh, you're, you're down four points today. And I'm like, if this decreases Damn. my VO2 max, which like, I, I shouldn't sure. even be caring about that. You know what I mean? Like I'm not a yeah. heavy competitor, but yeah, it totally changes the mindset and the
1: perspective. Yes. yes. Oh,
0: okay. And it, it also me.
1: the predictors aren't, aren't accurate. It's, and I, I think the predictors and pace relative to other um, distance of races has never really been that accurate I mean you take like somebody's 800 meter time and they say well then you should run a marathon in this time it's like that's just it, it that's just not true you know I mean it's mm-hmm. like taking Usain bolt and saying well Usain bolt because he runs this fast in the 100 meters he's gonna run you know a 214 marathons no there's it, you can't make that yeah and, and these are just predictors but I think the, the problem is a lot of people like in your case like it does affect the psychology behind it. Your belief, <laughs> in yourself, you know, and right, I think totally. the power of belief in yourself can be the most powerful component. A lot of people run their fastest marathon ever in their first marathon because mm. they had no reason to suspect. Otherwise they just said, you know, I have no fear. I'm going for it. Why not? And they, and they run their fastest marathon. They, wow. maybe they run, and after that, and they never get faster. Um, but there's something about just that belief in yourself. I think that's, that's so powerful. And by sending somebody a notification that pulls from that or messes with that, I think it's, it's more dangerous. And I think it's, yeah, I think we, we, it's always going to be there. I know it's a game that, and it's a race that these tech companies are trying to play, but we're just trying to fill in everything else that's missing from that conversation.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So, how are you guys building like your case studies right now and like beta yeah, testing I mean, so we, stuff.
1: the cool thing about all of the you know time we've spent in the industry, we have so much, so many comparatives, so many people that we've worked with. So, we, we have like a giant pool of people um, that we can tap into that we are tapping into. Um, people that we've coached, people that are on our team at Guru, different experts. We have uh, Andrew Hauser is, is one of our advisors and he's the head coach of the Dodgers was it with the Atlanta Braves before that. And this is a guy that's just brilliant, but he spends his time in the lab and interfacing with the athletes and testing using all the latest tech with a pretty large group of of different athletes. And he's imperatives. And then they get they get access to technology that way before we ever see it. You know, and so having someone like him you know, from from my wife and I, every time we have the opportunity to have a conversation with them, we have this great relationship where it's like we do a, we do a Facetime and we just we spend an hour just you know chopping it up and, and geeking out on all the latest and greatest in sport and yeah, it's a lot of fun you know. And I think at the end of the day, what this is for us is it has always been fun. It's always been about athletes tinkering with like you know. Finding something that you didn't know before, you know, and and then how to and then paying that forward. For me, like the running mechanics thing you talked about, I yeah, I think I'd run about forty marathons before I even thought about running mechanics. But then when a coach showed me and the changes that it made in my whole trajectory, um, I you know the progression I had was unbelievable in, in my own mind. And I was like, I have to, I have to pay this forward. And I've since done about a thousand, right around a thousand uh, video form analysis and, and form makeovers.
0: Holy and cow.
1: It's, it's by far the most fun thing I do. Cause it's like, here's you before, let's shoot this video, go through, you know, a whole session. And then here's you after. And it's just, it's, it's a, a wow moment, you know?
0: So. Yeah, man, that's so cool. Yeah. There was one video I saw a couple years after the whole four foot thing um, where you were explaining like, looking at your the the front part of your leg, whatever bone that is, as like the in your knee is the pendulum. So you're like allowing it to swing, reducing the energy or like the output of energy just because you're letting it swing on its own. So anyways, cool stuff like that. So hopefully people hit you up. Um, for some coaching, for some advice there. One more thing, cause you mentioned like the new technology that some of these coaches have access to that we don't have access to. Will you guys uh, play around with it? I just saw this and have been like incredibly intrigued by it. The whole like glucose meter thing that are starting to come out. It's awesome,
1: man. So like yeah, we, we, okay. got, we, got to, we tested levels. So that's one of the companies that, that is. Levels, okay. Yeah, a continuous glucose monitor. Yeah. CPM, yeah. And it's it's eye-opening. I mean, I would say for me, it's funny because at a certain point when you do something for a long time, you feel like, you know, you, you can, you can call yourself a teacher at the very least, you know, you have something to share with people and it's all yeah. about sharing, learn, right? If you want to call yourself an expert, there's a lot of pseudo experts in the world right now. And yeah. you know, there's a lot of, a lot of that. And I, regardless of that, I think it's about like what we learn and what we share. And I think it's, it's being in the marathon game for a long time. There's a lot of things that I, I think I know, but I, one thing that, has set me apart from a lot of my peers is this idea that, you know, I still have a lot to learn and I, and I definitely don't consider myself like the know all be all running coach. So I have a lot to share. There's still like, there's a plenty that I, that I need to, to learn and not even just me, but just we as a whole, the running yeah. industry, it's amazing how, how stuck the running industry is in its own, what it thinks is correct. And so that's another thing that a guru we're trying to break, but going back to continuous glucose monitor, this was one of those moments where, it was like, oh, yeah, all of those pasta meals that you just abuse because you're a long distance runner and you can eat carbs like crazy. It was just an eye opener because it was like how long my glucose would spike, you know, or how high it would spike and how long it would spike. And it was like, man, yeah, but I'm on this distance runner, you know, and it was like, this really has nothing to do with that. You know, your run that you do in the morning is not affecting that meal that you're eating at 2 p.m., that's has way too many carbohydrates when you're already topped off with carbohydrates. Like, yeah. and that's what creates that huge spike. And so, I, yeah, there's a lot of learnings from, it. I think we did it for about a month, which is what they suggest that you do at minimum. Um, and just, and when did you-, you do that? Uh, that was last year.
0: Oh, last year. Okay. Got it.
1: It was awesome. I mean, I, you could do it perpetually. I think I, but you learn so much and, and they sort of encourage you to basically do all of these different experiments while you have it on. Um, each device lasts, uh, two weeks. So it's like two, two week cycles. Um, and then you just, you try like what happens to your, your blood glucose when you don't sleep, you know, like when you, when you have alcohol, like when you, it's, it's just all of these different variables. And then as you start to test them you start to see what are the cause and effect relationships of, of my behaviors of what I eat, what I drink, all of these things go together. Talking about holistic. I mean, that was another thing for us where it's like. This is about so much more than than the workouts we do. And and Oura Ring is the other thing. I'm an ambassador for Ouro Ring. And this has been another game changer for my wife and I. It's like seeing the effect of sleep and then how everything else in your day goes at, relative to the sleep you got. Yeah. I mean, I now will actually go back to bed and get an hour and a half of sleep, even if I have a workout plan, if my scores are low enough. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get nothing out of this. And I know because I've tried. And it's, it's mm. diminishing returns.
0: So, yeah, which I could see a lot of people, I guess, depending on what their personality is, but if it's like a type A person, it's like, no, I'm getting up and I'm going to, I'm going to grind, I'm going to grind all day. And like, but really you're just doing more damage in the long run by yeah. so using these types of indicators. All right. Super interesting. And then as far as the, the glucose thing goes, as somebody who's ran 70 marathons, what changes did you make like in your own, whether it was nutrition or yeah. other lifestyle habits? Yeah. Like what, what changes did you make after a month?
1: I'm yeah. Just... Yeah. I mean, the first thing was to just drastically, well, we had to do a ton of intermittent fasting. Um, okay. And I, I, have a lot of my life has been sort of pushing back on breakfast. I've never really been big on eating a big breakfast first thing in the morning. It's just never been my thing. I'll have a cup of coffee and I can go until 10 or 11. I've always just kind of been that way. Um, so that was easy for me to try that, that had a direct positive effect on the overall daily glucose levels being more stabilized. Um, so we was the fasting was,
0: you're saying, yeah,
1: intermittent fasting and, and, you know, having an earlier dinner and not eating again until like a later morning, basically. Okay. Um, I, so I had a training partner who was taking that to the extreme and eating within a six hour window every day. And yeah, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to sacrifice quality of life that on that level. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, but, um it seemed that it, it didn't seem to have that big of an effect on him either way. So he went back to sort of more of a normal um, habit, but so that was the first thing was limiting and lowering the amount of carbohydrates. And then also when I would, when I eat carbohydrates in the day. So the first meal you eat, if you eat, you know, a large percentage of that meal, if it's carbohydrates, you're restoring, you're, you're, you're breaking the fast, right? Like this breakfast is, um, and we have the lowest uh, glycogen fuel tank at that point in the day than any other time. So you're refilling that tank. The glycogen is being replaced by the carbohydrates and the fats come in as well, proteins. The second meal you eat, cutting out the carbs almost completely. Because the second meal you eat, you're basically, unless you've done some crazy workout right after your first meal, I mean a really hard, long workout, then you're, you're going to have plenty of glycogen in your system still. So you don't need a ton of carbs in that second meal. And when I would do that, I mean, I would eat a basic, easy breakfast after a run. Then I would go and have a smoothie for about like easy lunch. And I, I'd have a huge spike off a smoothie yeah, because sure. it's giving me stuff I don't need. Right. So right. I think that, that's been a big thing is just, is when you eat the carbs matters and then the proteins and the fats. Well, in the fat too, if you eat the fat before a, protein, a fat before a carbohydrate, you have less of a spike. So your body starts to regulate that, that intake of the carbohydrate better once you've had fat in the system. It's like mm-hmm. a prime, really interesting. So like little things like that. The other cool thing about levels was they gave you these tidbits of information in bite-sized chunks as you're going through this experience yourself. Okay. So you got to basically experiment with some of the tips and tricks that they're giving you while doing it to your, with, with yourself. So Yeah.
0: Otherwise, yeah. it would just be like information overload probably when you first... Yeah. First get started. So you mentioned alcohol usage and yeah. like, I'm just starting to learn a little bit more about glycogen. I know it's stored in the liver. So like, how would, how, like a night of drinking or even a couple of drinks or how many drinks would it take to change the levels drastically? Just one, or is it like 10?
1: Dude, this is the craziest thing. And so when I was, when I was like first gotten to the elite level of running, I, I just wasn't drinking alcohol at all because I was just training so much. And I was, I didn't even think about, it was like probably three or four years. I was, I drank no alcohol. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and then I, you know, started drinking wine more consistently COVID. I was like margaritas and became a full blown alcoholic. (laughs) You know, I I would, I would have wine at dinner. Um, and so that we were having, we had like a wine, you know, a nightly wine habit with maybe party every now and then, um, you know, like once a month, that type of a drinking habit. With glucose, it has the opposite effect. When you drink, it stabilizes your scores. You're, you, you don't have a spike. You would think it would be the opposite. You'd have a spike, so you like, oh, I shouldn't drink. It's yeah. the opposite. It actually lowers your blood glucose. So, Holy crap. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because you could eat a horrible dinner and have drinks with it, and your scores are pretty good. So I think what's dangerous about that is it, it's it's one of those markers where like what you're seeing, this is a subjective versus objective. You've got, and they say it in, in levels. They say, you know, this is not a good thing just because it looks like your levels are good in which they're technically good. The reason that it's happening isn't necessarily good.
0: Okay. Um, okay.
1: Drinking more alcohol and drinking alcohol as a whole is just lowering your, your blood glucose, but it doesn't mean that that's a healthy choice to make. Um, I, I stopped drinking alcohol a few months ago. Okay. And just, just, um, uh, I was, you know, I was just needed a break and I feel just amazing in every way. And, and it, everything, like my sleep is the big thing. My sleep is all of my, the amount of deep sleep and, and REM sleep that I get without any drinking, it's just through the roof. And, and now it's like, if I, you know, it's gotta be a special occasion. You know, it's like, I, I just have the tendency I could, I could drink every day and still go out and train like an elite athlete. Yeah. And that's when I made the choice to just stop because I'm sort of all or nothing personality. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was like, I need to just stop that for a minute. But it's interesting because the biggest change I've seen is, has been the sleep.
0: So what were your, what were you averaging for deep sleep and REM sleep prior to cutting off drinking? And what do you like know?
1: 15 to 30 minutes. That's it? Yeah. I'd like deep sleep REM sleep. I mean, like 15, 20, it, it's REM sleep. I'm not, I don't ever get that much of it, but deep sleep, like maybe 45 minutes, maybe an hour. And now it's like hour 45 to two and a half to three hours. Really? Crazy. Like, and and that's still, because my average sleep is like my biggest still opportunity is going to be like the length of sleep I get. Yeah. Um, But if I get six to seven hours, yeah, about two hours of deep sleep, which was nothing even close to that before.
0: Yeah. 20 minutes or something up to that. I mean, that's, that's
1: that's huge. And with an OCD personality, like I tend to have with, with running, it's like, get up. 5 a.m. go do 10 mile run minimum every single day i did that for years and what ends up happening is i mean you see benefits you know i mean the, the efficiency comes you know your the skill improves but what you're what the other side of that coin is that you're actually like you're you're there's something that you're pulling from your vitality you're constantly tapping mm. like this life force from yourself and i think that's what leads to a lot of injuries but i think maybe more importantly burnout you know yeah. that psychological burnout of like just why am I doing this? You know, I think so many athletes go through that. Most of the athletes I coach hit some sort of burnout multiple times in their their career. So,
0: well, what's helped you navigate that? So you're not doing that anymore.
1: No, and everything. Uh, yeah, well, the big thing now is like is, is prioritizing the sleep. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So married to the the, the high volume, not being oh, okay. so not being so married to any one component, being okay with the idea that rest does not make you less fit? You know? And that's, I think the thing, if I miss a 10 mile run, because a lot of runners traditionally measure their sort of their success on a weekly cadence of like how many miles per week did I run? Yeah. I just think that that's, it's not the best way. It's, it's sort of a, um, it's a hole that you can fall down really easily because it, it works until it doesn't. And the point that it stops working or it's going the other way and taking something from you, it's very hard to recognize. Yeah.
0: No, that makes sense.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, man. All right. So we're, we're talking about like some of these, uh, different methods of at least the nutrition and upkeep and continuing on with the habits and the the ways to monitor and level. How about recovery? Um, cause I wasn't planning on asking this question, but when you say that you've ran 70 marathons, like I know people that are listening to this that are new would say would probably just think that like, that's insane for one, but also there are a lot of people from that have the school of thought that like, Oh, we're not meant to do that. And your body's going to decline rapidly and you're going to, you're bound to get injured. So like, what, what does someone do who's ran 70 marathons in their life just to like focus on recovery and not get injured?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I think recovery is such a broad term you know, it's everything from massage to sleep to, I mean, uh, what it, it's, there's so many things that you can do for recovery. Um, recovery clothing, you know, like uh, wearing compression tights, the compression boots that you have, the, uh, the ice baths. There's just so many different things that you can do to expedite recovery. And I think at the end of the day, it depends on the individual yeah. because if you haven't been an athlete for your whole life, your body needs different things to recover. And that is also dependent on where you're at in your journey of of either becoming an athlete or, you know, it's, there's so many variables to it, right? But for me, as an athlete, that's been an athlete my whole life, I recover really quick. And the best thing for recovery for me is active recovery. So when you say recovery, that means martial arts, that means yoga, that means strength training, it basically means a modality other than running.
0: Yeah, So okay. I'm doing
1: 70 marathons, it's like in between the marathons, I'm focusing on other things, you know, I'm just, I'm, but I, what I'm not doing is just like stopping because once you stop, it takes longer to recover from anything. So, but again, this goes back to the individual. Like if you've, if you're just coming off the couch and you have not done much running or sports of any kind, you can't expect to just be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to run seven days a week. And then, you know, take one day off. I mean, there's, there's been months where I've taken, I've done 5 month cycles where I took 3 days off in the whole 5 months of training, you know, 80 90 100 miles a week of running and then plus other stuff, you know. So that's that's a very unique case study, you know. Yeah. As, as somebody who is in a position of coaching or guidance or you know, just being, you know, somebody that like a, a mentor, um, you you have to it's a responsibility. You know, you have to understand that you can't just run around saying, "Hey, look at me! Look what I'm doing! You should do it too!" And I think the problem with social media, is you see a lot of that. Like, "Hey, look at what I'm! Look at how just do this!" And it's like that's reckless because that's not what it takes. And it, it took that that athlete their life to get to that place. And what you're seeing is this glimpse of them now after 20 years of doing something. And for you know somebody who's never tried a sport to just jump in and try any of that, it's it's not going to be a good thing. So.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense, man. So five month cycles were the most most amount of days you took off from running was three, three days. Yeah, and was
1: yeah. multiple cycles where I did a hundred mile weeks every week of the cycle going to the marathon.
0: Wow! All right, so that's where you're at now. Um, I know you weren't always that way. So one thing that I'd love to hear is just like your actual story of going from what I would. Like, hear from Nate and Cassie as like a, a cigarette smoking delinquent in Durango, Colorado, to like, you know, this marathon. And by the way, what, what's your fastest marathon? Isn't it like 215 or two-
1: 223, right? Yeah. Oh,
0: 223, 223,
1: which well, is, oh, that's a
0: five. Is that a 514? What was the pace? So
1: 529 right now. Um, and then we're always in this like perpetual training for 515 base for sub 220, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's, yeah, it's it's funny because with the with running in the marathon, it's like all of the training you do. And then it, if you can put the race together, like my PR, my fastest marathon wasn't even a goal race. I was just kind of out there playing around and I was oh, really wow. fit. And I just was, I was talking the whole time. You know, I was, just, my fitness to run even faster could have been there, but that's how the marathon is. It's like the variables are so extreme. My last marathon was potentially the fittest I've ever been. I was running paces I've never seen on my watch. Um, I ended up running at 227 in Boston, but it was humid. And, you know, so it was like, I, I felt like I had a sub 220 in me on that day, but it was just, you know, and everyone was falling off. I had a really high place in the race, but it was a 227. So I think yeah. the marathon's not always best hole on the clock. I feel like a, it also sort of keeps the hunger in me of like, I know I can still run faster. So my PR is 223. Okay. Um, I'm proud of it. Especially if we're going to go into my story of like where I've come from and you know how I became a runner, uh, I would have never thought I would run that fast. But I still think I can run faster.
0: Yeah. So. Wait. And how old are you now? I'm 42. And you've just only gotten faster over all these yeah. years.
1: And in the last 10 years, since I first broke 2:30 in the marathon, I've run 11 marathons, all sub 2:30. So in my trajectory, my fastest 10 have been my last 10. And I'm not slowing down. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's cool, man. That's so awesome. All right. So yeah. How, where, when did the transition occur? Like you said, you were, you know, your dad was a surfer, you grew up in, in the mountains, the middle of, yeah, yeah. I mean, six hours away from Denver, three and a half, four from Albuquerque. You're like the closest big cities. Like when, when did this all start for you?
1: Yeah. I, it's, I think a big part of my life has been my upbringing, you know, I, I, like a big credit to my parents and then the, my community in Colorado, I mean, we had, we had, um, we had a very, very special community around us growing up. And I think we were encouraged to do whatever we wanted to do as far as being an artist or being, you know, whatever it was you wanted to be. We, we had a lot of support from everyone in our community. My dad was um, like you mentioned, he was a surfer. He was, he built houses when I was growing up. He was a hunter hunting guy on Santa Cruz Island for 10 years. He was, he was one of these legends of sort that like, hopefully at one point I'll be able to sit down and write the book that needs to be written about him. Um, it was, it was awesome to have him as a father and, and what he really presented to us was this concept of life is about making memories more than anything. So get out and live a life that you, that you want to re- remember, you know, worthy of a storybook, right? Like, like, it's not so much about like where do you want to go to school or, or what do you want your job to be? It's about everything else in between. That's cool. um, he often said like the best thing I ever did was retire when I was 20 you know and it's like that that stuck with me and I think all through go- growing up it was being the son of an adventurer and and very active people my mom and my dad were both my mom was always jogging my dad was hiking and arrowhead hunting and this and that and I think we were just and then everybody around us all the kids were in cross-country ski racing and you know all these different and we all played sports and stuff so I think the active lifestyle and getting outside was so ingrained. I got into rock climbing when I was 10. Um, yeah, I just was always looking for the edge. And so I think that became an identity for me and my friends was like, okay, like, how do we find the edge? Like, what's the highest cliff we can climb? Okay, now what's the highest cliff we can jump in, into a, a creek or a, a lake, you know? And which, by the way, ended up being about 100 feet in, in Lake Powell, you know, the highest Oh, average. wow. <laughs> but, it's crazy. Yeah, so it was like it was just all about extremes and, and you know finding the limits. And I think I I moved to California when I was 21. Okay. And I, I came to surf. I wanted to I I didn't have the ocean in my life growing up, hearing all the stories of my dad's. Um I, I didn't get out of the water for 10 years. I loved surfing and I just I just that's all I did. Um but along that way I found the marathon. I was introduced to the marathon. Uh, I was sort of bribed to do a marathon and it, hmm. it was Brutal. It just beat me up, and I was—I ran for fitness. You know, I would do like three to four mile runs a couple of times a week. That was my relationship with running. I never did it as a sport. Um, it was just a fitness activity, and so to, to train for something where that was the point, and and I, I think I ran 15 miles was the longest I ever ran, and a marathon for those who don't know is 26.2 miles. So I was severely undertrained for the task at hand, and yeah. it, it beat the hell out of me, and it was. It was awesome. So I I met myself in a way that I had never met myself before, and I reduced to such a a, such a depleted state physically, and then following that mentally, like when my brain was out of energy on such a level, and then you still had five miles to run. It was like that was what was special about it. It was so. It was like you had to find something in your soul that to keep you moving. You know, like it it was this reckoning of sorts that was happening in real time that you're fully aware of. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was unique. And so I, I did it. I checked the box and I was like, I'm never doing that again. That was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> as, as amazing as that it was like, now I know I'm good. But I, the, our mentor, this guy Alberto perusa said, he was Argentinian skydiving scuba diving dude who got us into it. He kept every year bringing us back to run another marathon. Huh. After a couple of years of that, I, I sort of got the bug and I started to enjoy that test and look forward to the test. Yeah. And so in this time, I'm, my girlfriend was Lindsay Lohan's manager and I was flying around with, with that whole Hollywood scene at the time and yeah, yeah, yeah. that I was smoking cigarettes and you know, surfing and it was just a different era. I wasn't looking, you know, as my life is like an athlete necessarily, but it got more and more that way. And then I started to tinker with it and I started to say, well, if I do this, like, you know, I can run faster. And I, I quit smoking like almost right away when I started running marathons, which is a great thing um yeah but yeah i just got i just went more and more down that road of of how can i how can i carve away a little bit more of of what's unnecessary a lot like uh, i don't know if you know bruce lee and much of his stuff but he was always talking about like taking out what's unnecessary mm. you know not about like getting more it's about getting less like removing the excess and i felt like that's what that's what i was doing with marathon was like, whittling away
0: well so, so what like what for example what were you whittling away like are you talking about other hobbies, other interests, other things that would just like tie you down normally, I and like what yeah. Like
1: well, in, initially it was it was the I think it was the consistency first, like like it was like a sharpening of the focus, you know, like okay, yeah. like I actually want this. Okay, like I'm gonna I'm gonna dedicate more time to it. Um, I'm gonna educate myself, I'm gonna learn more, I'm gonna read this book, I'm gonna okay, now I can now I have a new skill to try. Okay, I've learned running mechanics, now I'm gonna incorporate that a progression in the in the and the different types of intensities of training and building that throughout these five months of training and like adding in that. And then, Oh, and then even now I'm like, you know, doing the sleep thing. And, you know, so it's like, I don't think that ever ends, but I think another, there wasn't a moment where you talked about cutting out other hobbies. I love to be sort of like this warrior poet in my own brain. Like I like, I like to like read and then I like to like just test myself to like on the most gnarly battle. And then I like to just like, have a great cup of coffee and like I like the I like that balance that back and forth um so I've always dabbled with lots of different sports and activities um and I there was a point where I was doing jiu-jitsu full-on I was coaching boxing I was running marathons I did crossfit workouts and I was like all right I really want to see how fast I can get so mm. I, I really consciously cut out I sat in jujitsu jiu- jiu- for the time basically everything I just ran and I got, was this was 2012
0: 2011 2012 oh
1: wow okay that's when i first like got into the elite level of running i basically like you know i I, and it was like there was like this vanity part to it where it's like you know in my 20s it was like you know being ripped was like a part of the thing (laughs) Um, and so there was like this an awareness of like you know the fast fast runners they're pretty skinny you know so it was like there was like this moment of like, just whatever it takes, like, I don't care. It doesn't matter what I look like, whatever I got to give up. Like, I'm going to, that's the whittling away thing. It's like, okay, okay, okay. I'm going to give myself to this, even if it means sacrificing the vanity and in, in that, you know, <laughs> strength. And, yeah. you know, I, I think I've gotten to a place later after having gone through that whole exercise, um, where I think because I was that lifelong athlete, I was able to cut out more at that time and get away with it then I would have a lot of people do. And I've brought a lot of that other training back in because I think it creates more of a holistic, well-functioning athlete. Yeah. Uh, Makes sense. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So when you made that decision, like what were your, what were your pace and race times for the marathon prior to whittling away? And then what happened
1: after? Yeah. So I was, I had run about 15 marathons at two hours and 42 minutes. That was my ceiling and I could not run faster than that. And I truly, by the way, my first marathon was three fourteen. That was my that was my first three marathons. I ran in three fourteen. Okay. Um, but then, through a, a number of years, I got down to two forty two, and that was a big, a big progression that I was proud of. Those years to, going from three fourteen to two forty two, I was like, I was proud of it, and I sort of showed up on the the sub elite radar. I got some sponsors, and people were looking at me for advice. You know, and it was fun. Yeah, yeah. I felt like a runner. You know, but I kept hitting that 242 and it got to the point where I was like, if I see 242 on a finish clock, <laughs> I'm going to stop and do pushups before yeah. I cross the line. So I see a 243. Yeah, it's just something different. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, And it was the changing of my running mechanics, actually, that, that tipped me that, that next, that next progression. Um, I ran a 238 after it was actually like a, about a year and a half of tinkering with my running mechanics. And then I ran a 238 in an uphill course, followed by a 235. And then that was my last in the 230s. Everything after that was two twenties. And wow. that was 2012. My first, my first sub 230, which was two hundred and twenty eight, was my first one it was 2012 in November. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then once I got there, I I it just unlocked a sort of, and that's again, that's been 10 years now, you know. It's, it's so it's but I unlocked something with my own skill level understanding of my um, energetic output. Relative to the marathon, I, I know what I can get away with. I know what kind of training I have to do to achieve that. Um, and even on a bad day when things really go go south, I can still hit the sub 230 for the most part.
0: Sheesh. Yeah. Dude, what's cool though is like you continued to hit this wall until you made one tweak, which was really the form. You said the running yeah. mechanics, which came yeah. down to the form. It wasn't like pushing harder, digging deeper. It was like changing the form. And that is something that uh, I was like slowly, slowly started to discover through swimming. Now that I've been getting Probably into not. to getting into the Ironmans, It's like so I, I would just run, trying to give it everything I got. Bike, give it everything I got. No form, no nothing. Right? Like I don't like I'm, especially when I first started, just about three, or four years ago, <clears throat> um, and I'm like still kind of that way. But it, that doesn't work in the water. Like in order to be fast, it all comes down to form. And I'm a big believer in the saying, how you do anything is how you do everything. So it's been like, it's been a really healthy and good reminder for me. Every time I swim, that it's like, all right, I have to stop this force or the power and focus on the form and my time improves. And it's just been something that's like ringed true in other areas of my life. Like, have you noticed that in other areas of your life?
1: So my wife was a junior Olympics swimmer um, when I did my Ironman, she did, she was my swim coach, Okay, and, but it's what you said about, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. I think that is like, that's so that's huge because I, I think mm. for me, the reason I kept running as my primary, I guess, activity, and it's starting to replace surfing for me, which sort of doesn't make sense to a lot of people, including myself sometimes. Like, why would I change something like? <laughs> such this fluid, beautiful dance in the ocean with nature for running. Like, why, how how did that happen? You know, it's something was triggered in me and continues to be triggered in me by running that nothing else does. And it's similar with swimming where it's like, it's the consistency component. It's the focus on your form and your mechanics and your, it's like this, this dedication that's required to be successful at it that therefore Pays or, or goes into everything else in your life. And that's yeah. when I started to see much more energy and success in all other areas of my life when I got really into the running. And so, but it's funny because the swimming was the same way for me. When I was doing 4,000 meters in the, in the pool, like, and doing it five, six times a week, like, swimming was you know, starting to get that flow, you know?
0: Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. That's putting in a lot of laps, a lot of laps. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. All right. So you mentioned that, um, like you were initially intrigued by the marathon. You said I had a buddy introduce me to marathon. Yeah. Why why that? And how come like you didn't care about anything else? Like, was it something about the endurance of like, what what was was the allure?
1: It was just chance. Honestly, it was total chance. I mean, I, I was surfing in Malibu as my main identity, lifestyle, everything. I I was building houses at my own company out here. And it it was honestly, I was doing enough work to, to satisfy my, my surfing habit. That's all I was doing for most of my twenties. I mean, I really would work. I had, and my dad taught me to build houses and I had that wonderful opportunity to really truly do what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do was surf, you know, and for, for that time of my life. And I got to do that because I didn't have to work that much. And um, it was in that time where my buddy was a, a lifeguard at Zuma beach and for the state beaches and we, we, we nicknamed him Baywatch. Um, but we would go surfing all day or at, uh, maybe I'd do some work, go surfing. Then we'd go run on the beach and then we'd go party and, you know, chase girls in Santa Monica. And that was kind of our lifestyle. Yeah. And this guy was, his name was Dave, Dave McVitty. He was somebody that could rise to my level of energy. Cause it was like, I've, I've always known that. I've had a lot of energy. <laughs> um, I can, I can go from one thing to the other and just don't ever stop. And so this, this was a friend of mine that was, he had that same level of energy for everything. And so, you know, we were, we were easy and fast friends. Um, and it was a friend of his that was like this older mentor guy that just randomly was like this marathon runner that had taught him into running the marathon. And it was just because I was friends with, with Dave that I was, that I was sort of pulling it along with him. And the reason that I was pulled to the marathon was because all I knew about the marathon was that it was, it was really far and yeah. I didn't even know it was 26 miles. Honestly, I didn't know it was 26 miles until I showed up on the day of the race. Oh, so whoa. <laughs> I, I knew it was around 20, but I didn't do any research. We signed up registered for the race in San Diego the day we drove the day before when we drove down there. So like, until I picked up my race and packet, I really knew nothing more about the marathon other than it's like 20 something miles that I should do some longer runs on the weekends. And so we, we hit the trails on the weekends and run up to 15 miles. We'd run barefoot on the beach for all of our other runs after surfing. We'd run at, we had this, Zuma beach is three miles long. So you'd run back and forth to be a six mile run. Uh, but it was, it was rare to put shoes on. Honestly, I'd put shoes on like once, maybe twice a week. Wow. And yeah, that's how I trained. And, you know, like I said, it, it didn't go the best, but it was, yeah. but I, but I survived it. And I, you know, I, I don't know, I rose to the occasion and it was, I, I wouldn't tell somebody, and I, I do this with my athletes. Even now with my first time marathoners. I, I don't necessarily think that they need to do any particular distance leading up to it. You know, it's the more time you have to train, the more, the, the more specific and the better your training goes, the better experience you'll probably have but there's a lot of other things going on with it, you know, and, and it really is about the mind and the body and the spirit and the, that whole, you know, that whole package that's got to yeah. show.
0: Up. So. No, 100%. And when you were talking about it earlier, there's something, like I just had a buddy, I think a couple of weeks ago say, like if you could boil down your reason for why you love endurance sports and some of these events to like one thing, what would it be? And I was like quiet for a little bit thinking about it. And based off what you said, I'm wondering if this rings true with you, but I told him, I was like, I think my whole life I have considered myself. And I feel like other people would consider me somebody who's like, just wings, it, like wings, everything. And there's something about a marathon, these endurance events that you can't wing. Like you have to, like, it's just bigger than that. And there's something exciting to me about like getting good at something that I can't just wing. And you were like, when you're, T- dead tired and you've got nothing left in the tank you have five more miles like that i don't know there's something cool to that yeah, i don't know there if, is
1: yeah i agree with you i, I think it's you the dedication of training like especially when you've done it more than once then you really realize like, oh dang like so for me if i sign up for a marathon what it really means is like okay now it's on now i gotta train for real yeah like, yeah, yeah not none of this like sort of like okay maybe i'll do a long run on the weekend like it doesn't matter if I do or I don't. It's like, no, I do not miss the, the run, you know, because I know what I'm in for and I know mm-hmm. how gnarly that experience is going to be. And there's no way I want to show up to that starting line unprepared because I've done it so many times and I've had that conversation with myself where I've said, never again, yeah. never again. Do I want to be at mile 18 and feel this bad? You yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, it's interesting because you're how, how you remember those internal conversations on a subconscious level. It's very interesting. You know, like I don't consciously think of in, if, until you brought that up. I don't really think about that very often, but I do know that subconsciously, as soon as I sign up for a marathon yeah, in a five month period before that race, I do not miss workouts unless there's a specific reason for, for missing them, you
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's something that like you guys are already exploring with guru, like, like what are these subconscious factors that are like influencing, yeah. motivating an athlete's behavior? For me, it's that for sure. It's like, I've, I'm trying to undergo an internal identity change. Like, I don't want to yeah. be someone who just wings it. You know, it's like, that's what gets me out of bed. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, interesting. But so you, you, somebody who's gotten into this, um, like the mid two thousands is kind of when you like really started to blossom with the whole running thing. I based off of what I've been learning recently, it seems like there has been a change in the way training for marathons is like when I speak to some older runners, maybe in their like fifties and sixties, it used to just be like packing a ton of miles every single week. Whereas now I'm hearing different schools of thought where it's like, you still got to run every day, essentially, but it's you know you could be doing these fart licks or whatever it is, um, yeah. and like some sprints, some intervals, and you could still do it and maybe never even have to run more than eighteen miles leading up to yeah. twenty six. Like, yeah, how's yeah. that been different for you, especially with coaching, like seeing that yeah. change?
1: I've I've gone through some extremes. I, I think yeah. um, I tend to be on like the lazier side of of the elite running <laughs> group as far as like historically I used to love it. I get to like 60 miles a week and be like, okay, that's enough for me. Um, but then I, once I got really into it, I dabbled the what I was saying before about 90 to hundred miles a week. And that's when things got really good for me. Um, it, it works like running a hundred miles in a week, 90 to hundred. It really works. And maybe 120 works even better. I don't know. I, I never got there, but hmm. um, I think, I think, the, I talked earlier about how it being the traditional running world being sort of stuck in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's, it really it does depend on like what you're talking about, who you're talking about. But forever, it was like this structure of running a speed workout once or twice a week and a long run on the weekend and running it like the long run easy um, and everything else recovery runs like easy pace to moderate pace. And that's still like probably the most widely accepted method of training for running. Um, that, that's like the weekly breakdown. And as you'd expect, you progress the volumes as you go through the cycle. Um, most people train that way. I think where I'm at now, I, my old coach that actually changed my running mechanics, his name is Richard Diaz. He dropped something. He dropped a bomb on me last year okay. um, and it's called run flow and not flow in the sense of like, the flow state okay. but flow in the sense of flowing through something and the idea is is you sort of touched on it when you said that you don't doing like intervals and stuff basically run flow it takes the it takes the spectrum of energy going from aerobic to anaerobic to your vo2 max going to high from low intensity to high intensity we've got these different ranges the speed workouts are in your anaerobic the long runs and everything else are in aerobic and then vo2 max is like that supplemental just like you know going going boss the wall um so he basically is like let's put it all together let's integrate all of the ingredients let's treat the aerobic to the anaerobic as a spectrum of energy that you visit within every run and i trained for five months with that method for boston and i i trained some of the lowest volume i've trained in the last 10 years absolutely not even Definitely by far the lowest volume that I've run in the last uh, 10 years. I ran 227 in Boston. Like I said, it was running some of the fast spaces I had ever run. Yeah, I was running fast every single day, every day. And unless I was taking the day totally off. And so I would run sprints and I would run tempo and intervals and steady state every single time I ran through that five months. There was no recovery days of running easy. There was not. And basically the the time spent aerobically and the time spent anaerobically, they were the same as you would see in a traditional running plan. It's just that they were integrated into every workout spread throughout the week. So the, the frequency was much higher. The frequency at which you visited that high intensity was happening all the time. And there's studies that have been shown that, that uh, they did a group on, uh, I think it was, I don't know if it was CrossFit, it was high intensity, it might've been cycling, but they took 20 athletes and had them do, X amount of anaerobic training for, for two weeks. And then the other group did same amount of anaerobic training, same amount, of, same period of time, but one did higher frequency and shorter amounts of it every time. They just did it more often. Yeah. And the group that did it more often that had a higher frequency of anaerobic work, they saw greater cardiovascular, cardiovascular benefits and aerobic benefits from it. Everything else was the same. So it's, it's interesting to think like, if, I, if you just do it more often, how does that affect your health? Man. I had amazing results from it. I run flow to me now is like, is how I look at running. And, and the other thing is that rather than having a workout dictated to you, like a coach dictates your workout, you go and try to do the workout. This is more like a guidance system where it's like the suggested flow today would be this. But if you, if you get into a three minute interval and you just don't have it anymore, shut it down, do one minute intervals instead. And so it's, it's, it's this, the flow concept is like staying more connected to yourself in a given day and a given moment and a given workout and adjusting as you need, when you need it, because look, you're going to have the same opportunity tomorrow. And if you got to up the intensity tomorrow, maybe that's what your body needs. And hmm. that's just additionally.
0: So yeah. a couple of things, just to make sure I'm yep. getting what you're saying. If you, if you yep. got like on, like a, you're following a traditional running plan or something and on your calendar for the week, you've got a hundred minutes of all like zone four zone five stuff. Yeah, you, you would keep that same hundred minutes, but you would just break it down over six, seven days or whatever is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Let's say, it's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, no, I was going to say, cause uh, totally coincidentally, I was listening today to, you ever listen to Huberman, Huberman lab podcast. I have so this guy's a neuroscientist at Stanford. Who's like, just very recently started this podcast, kind of built this brand, um, helping to like share neuroscience and the overlap, p- particularly with like performance and sports and stuff like that. But I'm listening to this one on endurance, and he said he mentions he didn't say run flow, but he talked about the importance of incorporating all aspects of like zone trainings into one workout and how that can produce better results. Totally coincidentally, literally <laughs> earlier today. You
1: gotta, gotta send me that because will. Is- yeah, yeah, yeah. i I think it's the future i i think look at cycling it's it's done in cycling i used to look at the the cycling groups in la and just be baffled by how they were training like they would race each other every day of the week and it's like on the pro level these guys are like they're like pros this is their job and they're hammering each other up the hills every single day of the week like how is this happening you know and like some days would be longer some days would be faster slower but like At every point in the ride, they're flexing at some point, like they're the lead groups dropping the other guys. And they're always like, and I just would hear stories from my buddies who are cyclists and runners. And I was just like, I just don't get it. Like we do a workout, two hard workouts a week. And it takes us three days to recover. Like, how are these guys doing it day in and day out? And their rides might be three or four hours long. Um, And it makes sense to me. It's, it's, I think of like games, like soccer, it's like you have 90 minutes and what are you doing? You're, you're doing everything. You're, you're jogging, you're sprinting you're moderate you're, and it's like, imagine if you went to a soccer practice and you're like, Hey guys, we're going to let's play. Let's let's practice today, but let's just jog today. Let's just run easy today for practice. Everyone would laugh at you and be like, yeah, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and, no, yeah.
0: Because
1: not only would that like, is it unnecessary, but it wouldn't be fun either. And so I think that the thing that came to me with this whole run flow experience was it's more fun. Like I did most of my training for my lap for Boston 2021 um, by myself. And it was, it was fun. And I'm at this place now in my running where it's like, it's easy for me to just sort of like not run if I have nothing to train for. And I am by myself. Cause I train with a a lot of different groups and a lot of different people and training partners over the years. And it's very Mm -hmm. motivating to have people in a community training for something. But I found that with the run flow, like I, it was a game every time I got to, like, I got to, I got to race. I got to go fast. I got to, I got to go easy. And it was it was a lot like playing any other
0: game. So yeah. Dude, that's cool. And it immediately makes me think of, uh, are you familiar with Hela Sidibe? I'm not No. So that he just did the U S run last year, um, okay. across the country. And so he, he's a former soccer player. I don't know. I don't think he ever played in the MLS, but he was like, whatever the league is just, it's like part of the MLS, but they're minor league essentially. Um, and he played for a couple different teams around the U S but anyways, just always a soccer player. Then he starts to get into running. Um, he only, he ran, his whole thing was like trying to never break the chain, run every single day. Dude, I think he ran, I I need to confirm this, but I'm pretty sure it was only like one or two years before he was like, I'm going to run across the U S and then he did it. And he was like set one of the fastest times for doing it. But I think just because you brought up the soccer example, like maybe his body was just attuned to that over couple decades or whatever of of playing soccer there's probably something to it um man i'm excited to check it out so are you guys incorporating run flow into yeah. running? And
1: because it's very individualized training um you know it's not like you have to be married to that concept right like yeah. we our, our main thing is to serve the athlete with what they need when they need it um but the flow concept. I think it exists already in, in a given workout for in traditional running, a fartlek workout, is, you know, a Swedish word for speed play. And that's very common. I mean, intervals, every speed workout, most, most every speed workout is an interval workout of sorts anyway. So I think, like, it's not difficult for people to, to sort of understand what it's going to feel like. I think the difference is, like, oh, you don't have to do – 30 intervals, you're only doing 10 today because tomorrow you're going to be doing something else as well. And yeah. the other- Sounds nice. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's bite size, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. that's like, okay. Like this morning I did, I had only 30 minutes before, you know, going to work. And I was like, jumped on the treadmill, warmed up 10 minutes. I did strides for 10 minutes. So 15 seconds all out, 45 seconds jog. And then I did a progression run from minute 20 to minute 30. Ran mm-hmm. five miles in 30 minutes and like, and, that, and, I'm, and I'm out the door, you know? So it's was like yeah, yeah. It was super efficient because I didn't miss any ingredient either. So it's like days don't go by where I miss all of my, my aerobic work or my anaerobic work. I don't, I don't, I used to have weeks and weeks where I would, that would pass by where I get in the base miles, but I wouldn't do a speed workout because lots of different reasons. It's daunting. Like doing 800s is daunting when you haven't done anything for a long time, but yeah. when you produce it bite size like that, and it's always present you stop fearing the high intensity. You don't fear it anymore. And then you're more willing to sort of like turn that on at any given time. And going back to like what we do, what was it that you said? What we do it like every day. Yeah. Yeah. How we do anything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that, that finds its way in everything too. It's like, I found myself, I felt so young all of a sudden, like I'm hungry for everything. Like bring it on. Let's Dude, that's cool. spin up a mountain, let's go spin up a mountain, you know? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it gave me versatility that I haven't seen since when I really got hyper focused on the marathon in 2012 and I cut out other stuff like I did get I I did start to miss like my my ninja sort of like I felt like when I was a jack of all trades, I could do anything and everything. You know, I could do the pool trick where you come out of the water, you go into a handstand and like (laughs) I like these things that like in my younger years, I was like proud of I wasn't able to do the same way. And the run flow gave that all back to me because I just, I, I had this hunger. I did, my testosterone definitely went up because I just had, I had more time. I was training less volume because I was getting way more uh, quality runs in with oh, less interesting. Volume. and, and then I was doing more things like martial arts and other stuff. So I was like, I arrived at Boston in what was it, October this past year. Um, and I was, by the way, invited to be one of the professional men this year, this past year. Um, so it was, it was cool that like, I had my name on my bib and I'm there with the, the top 30 athletes in the Kenyans and the afternoon. What am I doing here? Um, but <laughs> it's still very humbling for me because I didn't ever intend to be, you know, a professional runner. So to be standing there with my name on my bib is like, you know, it's, I don't take that for granted. It doesn't happen all the time. You know, I, am not actually a professional runner. I, I just got myself to that level. Um, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm barely fitting in my singlet. Like like my chest is so big because I've been doing so much other stuff, but but simultaneously feeling like super ready to run fast. So I had like I had a very interesting um blend of strength and endurance and and psychological readiness and hunger, you know. And so I it was a place where I was like, I would rather be nowhere else in my life than I am right now. I'm so happy with what this run flow has has awoken in me. And so I think for me, I definitely, as a coach, I introduce that to people and I say, look, there's this sort of like secret sauce, this special, there's this magic potion called Runflow that I think if you're interested and you're open to it, it can really be an awesome journey to take. So,
0: Yeah, man. What's really cool to me about that is this is your 10th year now as a serious runner. And it's like, you rediscovered it you know, for the first time and like completely yeah. and not, not that you like ever fell out of love with running, but it just seems like you've got like this fresh zest. It's cool that you're like, I'm only getting faster. And you're, you're like saying that you're verbalizing it. Like I'm going to get faster. and you're falling in love with it. Like not many people, especially nowadays who sticks with anything for 10 years and like that's, still loves it that
1: much. And that, uh, Yeah. That's, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I felt like, in anticipation of this call, I was like sort of just thinking of that with, you know, abstract looking at my, my life. And I was thinking, yeah, I, I think more than any level of where I've got to in running, I, I'm most proud of the progression over time, you know, of like 2006 was my first marathon and I'm, I'm in LA in Los Angeles, where I live, you know, there's not a lot of guys that can train with me and run marathons with me. And I've been doing this since 2006. So it's like, yeah. it's, it's not that I'm like, it's not my PR that I'm most proud of. It's, it's the fact that I'm like, I'm still doing it and I'm still hungry that's and cool. I, I'm out there. Like, you know, that, that's the, that's the, and I think that's what I would wish for anybody. It's cause I, I meet a lot of people that were like, Oh yeah, I was the fastest miler or, or I was a professional miler and they've got a beard and belly. And it's like, dude, you're only 30. Like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah, yeah. So much, you know, like are you going to lay down and die now? Cause you're like, I feel like it happens with, you know, with Olympians, people that reach these high levels of success early on. And now what, you know, it's like, what do yeah. you do with it? I think the, the answer to that is like, do, don't lose the hunger, like find something else. I like Ryan Hall. I don't know if you know Ryan Hall, but he's no. the fastest, he's the fastest American marathoner. Um, okay, he ran 204.56, I think it was. Um, he was Jeez. in the era, like when I was getting into running, he was the fastest. Okay. Um, very tall, skinny white guy and would run out front of the Kenyans in a marathon. And then they'd pass him at mile 20 and he'd finish, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But still, the fastest American today, insanely gifted and talented. And he is recently now, is actually his wife now is the fastest in the half marathon. He has the fastest American time. His wife now has the fastest half marathon time for females. Oh, wow. He's in a prime right now, but he is doing the full on Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilding. He's really? He is massive. And it's so cool to see somebody that was like this scrawny marathoner who, like, he's done with the marathon. He's retired. He's moved on. He's in a new phase, but he's like, he's got something else. And he's he's applying the same dedication, focus, all the same things that went into his marathon he's putting into bodybuilding. And it's just cool to see. He's not trying yeah. to get it. Forward. He's not trying to, like, compete. It's just like he's putting it, he's got something new that he's focusing on. And I think. And that's the point. I think if more people did that, if more professional athletes did that, that'd be a great, that'd be great for role models to sort of show people what that what that looks like.
0: Yeah. No, it makes yeah. sense. And speaking of role models, like I think it's been so fun just to slowly dive into the space of endurance sports and marathons and Ironmans because like it is, I mean, the average age, I'm I'm not as familiar with the marathon space, but the average age for an Ironman athlete is 42. You know, so like, it's, it's really cool as someone that's younger to see people that have been doing this for a decade or two decades and they still freaking love it. And like, that's, I think there's something that a lot of people, especially millennials and even younger are craving just because we like rapidly go through so many different things all the time and to see somebody that's stuck with something for that long is inspiring. And I think like that's, and dude, I like, I super appreciate the fact that you've been doing it for over a decade and you've got some like kick-ass accolades and you're like, I'm not an expert. Like, it is ridiculous, all the people that have, like, claimed to be an expert with, like, next yeah. to zero experience or whatever. Um, so, I mean, that, it's the time we,
1: I mean, it's the time we live in because it's, like, everybody now has to sell themselves, you know? Like, you, yeah. you have to have the Instagram, the Facebook. I mean, it's, like, a, it's like a bulletin board of yourself, you know? And it's, like, you, it, the, the self-promotion is what it is, right? So, it's, like, I think it's – I got into that. I was an athlete with Facebook and Twitter before Instagram world. And it was like, I remember, I don't know if you know Josh Cox, but he was one of of Ryan Hall's teammates. He's one of the fastest. He's the American record holder in the 50K, uh, but a professional runner. And he was one of the best guys on social media back in the day. And him and I chop it up on like how to use these platforms that were so brand new to inspire people through fitness. Now it's like, it's funny to think about that. Those conversations we had because everyone, Every there's like millions of people doing that, right? And I'm not even on the radar. Like I don't, I don't have the following to be like, you know, yeah, yeah. Like. Um, but I think the, the the sad thing is, it's the it's the ten thousand hours. It's it's the yeah. podcast right now. Like I love that we're doing this right now and taking these this time for these longer conversations because people are watching, you know, twenty second videos and going to the next one. It's like yeah. the behavior that that creates is the opposite of when you spend 3000 meters in the pool, staring at that, that freaking line. It's the yeah. opposite. like what you're accessing inside of yourself. Like the person you're becoming, when you stare at that damn line and you do another flip turn and you keep yourself doing it, like, you don't, there's no way to get out of your head. There's no way to like, there's nothing else to look at, but like what you become by doing that, I think is so powerful and, and where your mind goes and, and the, the cleansing effect, the, there's so many things happening when you do that, that is the opposite of what happens when you scroll through social media. Um, So yeah, it's, it's not people's fault that they end up doing what they are doing. And, you know, the, the pseudo experts that we see all over the place, like everyone's just trying to make, make, get their slice of the pie, make a living for themselves. And I get it, but it muddies the waters and it makes it much more difficult to find information from people who probably should be sharing the information. I think a lot in like in throughout history, I think a lot of the wisest people, um are often the quietest people too so i think like we're in a very loud time you know in in the world so you know it is what it is but yeah anytime that you can find a teacher where you're like you know you can you, you can sit with them and take some time and and you get some some of that wisdom you know like that's that's the special stuff
0: dude it's it's gold and um you know i've got like caught up in that whole thing myself Building a personal brand for like the the last couple of years in the sales space. Like that's what I really wanted to do. And I had been a door-to-door salesman and spent like actually almost 15 years in sales. And I was calling myself an expert. And it got to this point where I just like started to feel a little bit embarrassed because I was like, I don't, I don't think I, and then you know, everyone's talking about imposter syndrome these days, like how to get over it and in my mind, I'm like, some people just are freaking imposters. Like, why why doesn't anybody talk about that? And we are imposters. And so I like, I had to scale back and I like almost completely stopped all that stuff. Cause, and another thing was like, I was just reading this kid's book to my daughter. She loves this little, like Jane Goodall book. It just, you know, she's 18 months old. So I just read this thing to her at night, but I like read one of these pages and it was like, Jane Goodall spent 40 years in the jungle researching. And I'm like, (sighs) god dang dude 40 years <laughs> in the jungle and we're over here doing something for like a year calling ourselves an expert yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um i don't know bro i'm sure we could like drop yeah. it up for forever and yeah. i know we're already over time i like hugely appreciate you just taking some time to sit down it's been awesome we should do it again uh for anybody that wants to check out run flow particularly through guru running you said it's It's not out yet, but like, how can they keep up with what's going on?
1: Yeah, it's, it's coming out very soon. We'll have the opportunity to get involved, um, to be coached through our system very, very soon, potentially before this podcast comes out. So it could already be out. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Hit us up, guru running, um, .co and yeah, we're on Instagram and everything. I, we we've thought about not going on Instagram, you know, as a company, just sort Mm -hmm. of like always playing with that concept of like. But the reality is, like, none of that really matters. What What we really care about is is giving something, giving people that that something special that you don't get anywhere else. Mm. And that's re- what it really is for us with coaching. That's what it's always been. Like, let me let me rework your mechanics first, mm. and then we'll talk about what you're going to do in your runs. You know, like starting with that conversation is like, and a lot of coaches don't even think about that. You know, so I think it's all about perspective and our perspective is that we want to give people something special so come in take a look at what we're doing and uh yeah we we'll go from there so well
0: i, I, I want to check it out personally so i'll hit you yeah. up about that but um yeah dude it's good just like getting to know you a little bit more and yeah, uh, hopefully we'll keep the combo going so i appreciate it blue
1: great chat man thanks for having me yeah
0: absolutely brother all right i'll talk to you soon right.
1: Until next so,
0: time adios I truly hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you found the show valuable, I'd encourage you to rate or review us on whatever platform that you're listening to this podcast on. Each rating goes a long way and helps us to spread our message to more people looking to build up their endurance. People like you, people like me. And if you'd like more info on me or our charity endurance team, catch me on Instagram at it's itsjakesavage or visit teamai.org. Until next time, keep pressing on.